Hi, I'm Emily Williams, the founder of the top success and personal development company for driven women called I Heart My Life. I grew my company from $442 to seven figures in my first 18 months. And since then, it's become a movement for women who know they're meant for something big and refuse to settle. At I Heart My Life, we operate with the belief that anything is possible and no dream is too big. We're all about combining business strategy, deep mindset work, high performance practices, money tips, and a whole lot of lifestyle to help you get the results you deserve in all areas of life. Because after all, we only get this one shot. This is your one-stop shop for all things inspiration. So grab your favorite drink and a pen and a notebook and get ready to be inspired. Oh, and if you're not a member of our community, go to iheartmylife.com slash join and receive all of our emails and announcements. And while you're at it, copy and paste this episode link and share it with three friends. Now on to the episode. Hey, it's Emily Williams, the founder of I Heart My Life and your host of the I Heart My Life show. This is episode 225. How to Make Strategic Decisions Like an Eight-Figure CEO with Mary D. So today we're speaking to the incredible Mary, who I actually had the pleasure of meeting a few months ago at a special brunch. And I was struck by the fact that she is basically behind the scenes of tons of seven and eight-figure businesses that are out there today. She truly knows what she's talking about. And I love how she pairs her strategic mind with her huge heart and desire to serve and impact the world. She literally has the best of both, and that's how she operates. I wanted to pick Mary's brain in terms of what it truly takes to scale past the seven-figure level, and I wanted to better understand what sets certain CEOs apart and helps them actually reach those next-level goals. So I found this conversation really interesting because Mary actually talks about the different types of CEOs, which I thought was really cool to identify. So you can listen and see which category you fall into as well and really take a lot of insight from what she teaches on today's episode. So let's go ahead and dive in. This episode is sponsored by I Heart My Life Day. This is a virtual workshop designed to support you in creating a life that you love, one that's better than your dreams and fulfills you in every area. We cover topics like health, relationships, spirituality, business and career, money, mindset, all the key components that you need to create a life that's better than your dreams and transform your reality. We bring together the world's best teachers and experts to support you in every area of life. We also bring together an incredible community of like-minded women brought together to support you in going to the next level in every area of your life. We've curated this incredible experience to be the workshop that you've been looking for to support you in uncovering your purpose, living life to the fullest, creating your best health, transforming your mindset and moving past fear and limiting beliefs, having healthy relationships, going to the next level in your business or career. Literally no stone is left unturned. We are here for you in every area of your life so that you too can say that you've created a life that's better than your dreams. So go to iheartmylifeday.com to find out more and join us on the next I Heart My Life Day. Welcome to the I Heart My Life show, Mary. I'm so excited to have this time with you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. 
Yeah, I've interviewed a few of the amazing women I met at Marla Mattinson's birthday about a month ago. And it's so fun because I obviously met you in person, but I don't know about your backstory and how you came to do all of this work. So I'd love to start there and have you share with the audience a little bit more about the story behind the success. Absolutely. Thank you. That's a really great question. So basically for over two decades, I've been helping CEOs in their executive suite make strategic decisions with confidence. Uh, and that's the best way I can sum it up. How I came to do that work in the world is a alignment of cosmic obligation. And I would say a natural gift around encouragement and confidence, as well as leadership, and just a lot of great mentors along the way who opened a lot of wonderful doors for me through that was able to figure out that my magic is actually in running businesses. And I have a great um, I, what I like to tell people is I'm like a chess master, right? If business is a game of chess, then I'm excellent in looking at the board and seeing where all the pieces are, how they move, what their jobs are so that we can actually capture the queen. And, uh, and I do that really well in business from a strategic level, as well as from the level of understanding the details involved to create solid execution. And with that, I get to take that magic and bring it to my clients and really help them scale help them grow, and help them build a fantastic culture. Love it. And I'm curious to know, um, you know, if we back up a little bit, so what was the path that led you to this point? You mentioned mentors, but where did you start to get an inkling that this was what you were meant to do? Mm, That's so good. Yeah, the inkling. You know, I feel like it's one of those things where uh, I'm sure you've met these people and you're also one of these people that you're just good at certain things. Like they're very naturally good for you. So talking to people, being in front of people, connecting with people, making them feel heard and seen. I'm good at that. It's been something that's just part of who I am. And so from a level of purpose, I'm able to live my purpose within the work that I do. And that's why it's been such a great fit. Right. I didn't go off looking for where does my purpose exist? I've been just present with my purpose of letting people just be and letting them feel seen and heard so they can show up authentically. And in that, I'm meeting people where they're at. And in business, it's really served me to to really assist them along their journey as well. But what was your first job? I'm surely it wasn't working with CEOs. (laughs) My first job. That's a great question. So my very, very first job, I was underage. I got paid under the table and I worked at a restaurant. My sister got me the job because she was there waitressing part-time. It was this fancy seafood restaurant uh, up in Palmdale, California, for anyone that knows where that's at. It's out in the sticks. And the owner was super gracious. He's like, absolutely. Let her come work for me. We'll pay her cash. No big deal. And I worked in the back for maybe two weeks. I was going to work like in the kitchen, right? Because that's off to the side. And he looked at me and he goes, Mary, you're way too pretty and way too coordinated to be back here. He's like, we're going to put you out front. I was like, oh, so I was very quickly a hostess. And then very quickly after that, I got to do a hybrid of hostess and, and waitressing. And that was literally my very first role. But I had a great knack for it. I knew how to put schedules together. I knew how to like seat people at the right tables. I knew how to handle a crowd. I knew how to be kind to customers and make sure everyone felt like they were being taken care of from a whole. Like I didn't have this mindset of like, oh, I'm not getting tips for that or they're not my customer. Like, no, everyone that walked through the door 
they deserve to feel valued and like we want them to come back. And that's how I treated it. So it was just having a high level of ownership, even though this wasn't my restaurant, it was just what I knew to do as doing the right thing and the thing that felt most aligned with, with who I am. And, and that's how it happened. That was my very first, that was my very first. Uh, and then from there, you know, had, had uh, different roles in different companies. And I used to choose companies based on whether they pay for school or not. That's what, that's actually how I made my first, like had my first couple jobs. Neiman Marcus was one of them. I worked at a big grocery store chain, got promoted very quickly. And then one day I worked for a big bank. And in that big bank, someone came to me and said, Hey, come let us show you how basically everyone here shows up as entrepreneurs. And that's why things are, are in such a rhythm here. And it's why we're, we're killing it. And I was like, Oh, this is big corporate experience. And so doing it in that big corporate environment really set me up for success. Because when I did go off on my own and said, No, that's that big business, that climbing the ladder, that's not for me. Um, I accidentally got a list of everyone's salaries for the year and the bonuses they made. And I was super disappointed. I was like, wow, are you kidding me? Are you telling me that that this is what I'm working towards? Uh, uh-uh, It's not going to work. And I was super young at the time, Emily, I was like 22, 23, 22, 23, right in there. And so when I got tapped to come be an entrepreneur, to come run a company, but as an entrepreneur to come within their business, that was when I went, ah, this is where it's at. They offered me four times what I was making at the bank. And that was the pinnacle of that introduction for my mentor that got me into business that really let me shine and be an, an entrepreneur within someone else's business and, and further develop that skill so that I can become an entrepreneur in my full expression, uh, like I do today to help other entrepreneurs. Wow. And I'm curious to know, where did you get you know this innate knowing of, of how to take care of people or how to move the chess pieces. Are your parents entrepreneurs? Do they have that mindset or that way of thinking? Mm. So my mom was a single mom raising me and she's very entrepreneurial. So my mom is first generation Thai of coming to America. And so for her, I got to be a little bit, I'm her daughter, but I'm also her teacher in ways because I was the kid that spoke English and was getting an American education and grew up in this culture. Like I understand American culture because I'm Asian American. So I get to teach my mom things like, Hey, there's this thing called taxes. You have to pay those every year. Hey, someone should mow the lawn because if we don't, we're going to get a ticket for that. Like these are just the things that have to get done. We're not just rogue. You know, we're growing a cornfield in our front yard here in this regular neighborhood. So it's, it's a part of that, I think, the independence of having to know certain things a little sooner and a little faster, because I'm really helping my mom with some of that education and understanding. And the, the other part of it is my mom, even though she had jobs, she also always had a side hustle. And her side hustle was in, was in food, in making egg rolls and catering, and she'd just find ways to make extra money. And she was so smart about it. And she was very, her, she was always about the quality of something. My mom can sew. She does an amazing work with, with clothes. So any small side hustle that she had, she did. And she was about it. She was all about cash, about saving. So she really taught me some nice foundational things from that entrepreneurship level. And I'd say more than anything, Emily, if I can give my mom the most credit in this, it's that she always encouraged me. She always spoke life into me. She always told me I could do anything. She would speak that I'm smart. And I loved that because I believed her. Mm-hmm. And that was such a big part of it. So I hope for any anyone that's listening that has children, speak life into your children. 
let them know that they are good enough and strong enough and they'll believe you. Yeah. No, I had the same thing. We're super blessed. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about the type of work that you do with people? I know you described it um, in the beginning, but I'd love to know who is that like kind of sweet spot? Who is that ideal company or client that you love working with? And how do you specifically help them? Mm, So good. My perfect client is typically going to be someone who is a serial entrepreneur who has now come into their own in their business. And when I say come into their own, it means they have a team now. They have to have to surround themselves with the right people to actually scale and grow. They are past being a one person show. They have a team, they have actual departments, and now they know to get to the next level, they've got to up their game. And so this is where the leadership systems, processes, and teams really comes into play. And so they have a COO or a director of operations level type person, maybe even a project manager, but that person is probably not yet seasoned, but there's someone they don't want to lose. So they're willing to invest in that person's growth and education to grow along with the company, get them where they need to go. Those folks are ideal for me. They're likely running a hybrid or a virtual business. They are killing it at sales and marketing, meaning they have that part down, but they're not overly detail oriented. So they might have a few broken systems and processes. They know they can't keep selling and keep advertising or something's going to break in service delivery. They don't really know how to build that culture out with their clients and create ultra raving fans. So this is where I can step in and take their COO and them through a framework that creates camaraderie and togetherness with that CEO and COO or operator so that they can have open communication, that they can run with the vision, that they understand their core values and how to make decisions in their business and the overall structure of what works for them. Because most of the time we come from this environment of like, like if you go Google org chart, there's some like typical org charts that exist in the world. And what I like to say to that is, not everyone is typical. And so knowing this, like how do we create our teams and our culture and our business around what's important to us in what we're actually trying to put out into the world? And so that's really the magic is how are we building culture? How do we make decisions? How do we make good decisions, right? How do we create decisions made from data versus just our spidey senses. Intuition has a ton to do with it. Our energy has a ton to do with it. But also, let's increase our chances for winning by putting all of these right processes in place so that we always have a safeguard so that we're we're moving in the right direction. Is there certain data or key metrics that you're looking at when you go into businesses? For sure. Uh, The first one's their books. Uh, I want to see how clean those are. or how messy those are, because uh, that's usually the, the the place that's the easiest place to start, but sometimes also the hardest place to start is for people to understand their numbers. Um, I like to say that sometimes owners are like homeowners. They're really attached to the sentimental value of a thing. And so it's hard to take it and look at it objectively. So for example, let's pretend you have three products in your business and you love product B. Product B is like your baby. But if I looked at your books and your numbers, what I'm seeing is product B actually costs you money, but product A and C are doing so well that you're just not even realizing that that's the case. And so we have to take a hard look at 
okay, why, why are we still offering B? What is the nostalgia of offering B? Is it really serving your clients to offer B? Or do we make some tweaks and adjustments within that? So that's one, one small example for you in terms of that. But the other key metrics are going to be customer retention. Um, and again, this, some of these are going to depend on the business model. Um, the other one is going to be also in team retention. So that's definitely, those are two numbers that I like to look at because they also speak volumes about the business. Yeah. So what would you say are the top mistakes that business owners make as they're growing? For anyone listening who maybe isn't yet at the place that you're talking about, what are some of the things they can do to ensure that they don't fall into any of these traps? For example, the messy books or getting too attached to something that's not actually working. I would say that one of the very first things is understand what kind of CEO you are as that business owner. So there's roughly five types. Um, and just to give you just a very kind of high overview of what that looks like, you've got the CEO that's like a coach, right? So they know the plays, they know what needs to happen, but they're not out there on the field doing all the stuff. You've got the one that's like a quarterback, so they can help lead the plays. They're definitely going to contribute. And in some cases, they are going to take the ball over the line, but most of the time, they're probably passing the ball to someone else. You've got others who are key players. So they're amazing at the one thing. Maybe they're a sales star or a marketing star. You know, they're the rock star of the business, but they really shouldn't be doing anything else. So for that particular person, they need to be surrounded by a team that is wonderful at doing sales and marketing and ops and uh, administration so that that person can just show up, talk, shine, you know, maybe, maybe spend some time on content. Uh, and that, and that's how we support that person. And if we use a, a sports analogy, I'd say they're like a boxer or a tennis player, right? You get their team's got to tell them when to show up and how to show up. They just have to show up and do their magic. So those are just a, a handful of, of those types. Um, but I would say knowing that because then you can understand the team you need to surround yourself with. And um, the other one is confidence, the confidence to just move forward with making decisions because sometimes they get so lost in just the analysis and the paralysis of, oh, I have so many options or I don't feel like I have enough options. So it's taking that data that you do have, um, surround yourself with the right team that can help you with those decisions. And then a lot of times that hopefully will include a mentor. There's lots of great ones out there that are available and um, make that decision, move it forward because you're either going to win or you're going to learn from it. And if you're lucky, you get both. <laughs> and the faster that we learn and the faster we make it okay to fail because failing means learning, then we learn faster so that we don't make that same, that same mistake twice. And we can make good decisions going forward because we start to see the trend of, Hey, there's a pattern here. And how do we recognize the pattern in our own business? And how do you decide whether it's a moment to make decisions based on data or intuition? Ooh, that's a really good question. So this one, what I'll say is the energy of something is super, super important. So where I don't, I'd say applaud the intuition piece is when people are stuck in a decision, making it out of fear because I'm really not a fan of making decisions based out of fear. Uh, I actually wouldn't even call that an intuitive decision. It's just a fear decision that's probably squishing down whatever intuition actually exists inside. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, so this is where there's got to be a good balance of like, how do you have enough data and then lean into intuitively what really feels best for you? Uh, one practice that I've loved my whole life is the practice of journaling. 
because it gives me an opportunity to actually read back. And I don't know how many of you journal and look back and read your journal entries, but it's one way to evaluate how much do you really trust yourself? Because oftentimes in that journaling, you'll disclose how you're feeling in the moment. And then you have a timeline of passing that moment and then seeing what happened. So how many times do we actually say, my intuition says this, and the data says this, and this is the decision I'm going to make. And then you can look back and go, well, what actually happened in that decision? Did it go well? Did it not go well? And if that's the case, then what was it? Is it because I wasn't listening to my intuition? Is it because I didn't have a good group of people who've done done the thing I want to do better than me before that could give me some guidance? Or did I only look at the data, but I failed to leave out how I actually felt And so what becomes of that? A great example I have for you is I worked with a CEO who was a magical entrepreneur, magical. I mean, this guy, uh, money rained on him all the time. He was just that kind of magnet when it came to success. He wanted to start a business, but his driver was competition with his rival, right? And so as time goes on, we build this business only for him to sit and look at me one day and say, this is not what I want. Like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And in looking at that in hindsight, I said, this is because your driver was this competition. It wasn't because you said, I want to put out something great into the world. You know, you might've said that's a byproduct of some things, but it was not your primary concern. It was not your primary reason for doing what you're doing. And that's where even though money's raining on you the whole time, you can still sit in a lot of dissatisfaction around that thing because the energy of why it started and and why it got there is this kind of, you know, low hanging, blah. Yeah, low vibration. (laughs) Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Do you work with a lot of people who are looking to either pivot or even, you know, go in a different direction or shut, shut something down completely? That definitely happens. I mean, obviously with this last, these last, this last year yeah. uh, and all the things going on in the world that ended up being a big piece because most of the clients I work with are going to have some level of events as part of their program offering, whether it's a mastermind, whether it's large of marketing events for their agency. And so not being able to do live events creates that transition into, okay, do we do them virtually? Can we create the same experience or are we just creating maybe courses and putting that out into the world? Like how do we bring that to people's living room? So now we also have a transition going back to live events where now people can kind of transition back, but also a lot of people realizing that maybe there was some magic in a little bit of that hybrid model where they don't feel like they need to be in a city every weekend, but they are happy to go to a city every quarter or every month. And so those types of changes certainly happen. And then, like I said, when we look at their books and we look at their products and services, it's actually breaking those down and saying, what is actually moving the needle for your clients and for your business? And where do we double down more on that so that you can really lean into some of those specialized places and do magic for people? 
What do you think is the most important thing for someone to think about or one of them as they're starting a business? Because I think for me, we see a lot of new entrepreneurs coming into the coaching space in particular, and pretty much anyone can start a business, at least within coaching. You don't have to be qualified to do it. You don't have to be certified. And so I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. It's really amazing that we have so much opportunity, but there's a lot of people who are kind of accidental entrepreneurs who haven't had you know, traditional business training, which again, can bring in some great um, innovative ideas. But what would you say people need to be thinking about when they're just getting started? They absolutely need to be thinking about a budget, they need to be thinking about the kind of business they want to build. Too many times, uh, even if a business is if a business finds you, <laughs> as I like to say, it, yeah. even if a business finds you, it's important to understand what are you actually building? Are you building a lifestyle business or are you building a business that you're trying to take public and uh, sell? Is it something that you want to sell down the line? Are you trying to serve a lot of people? Are you trying to serve just one person? Like there's so many details wrapped up in that. And, and if it really comes down to one piece of advice for any new entrepreneur, it's go find a mentor. Go find that person who has done it the way that looks good for you, the way that feels good for you. They have what you want. If you're like, wow, Emily is in London, living her best life. She gets to wear beautiful dresses on a Sunday for no good reason. She's got amazing, impeccable taste, and she loves fine things. And she has her masterminds at the Ritz-Carlton. If you love that, then they should come see you. That's that's the simple truth of it. There's not a complicated thing. It's like, wow, Emily is living of a life that seems like something that I want. Well, if that's true, then they should be calling you, Emily, and figuring out from you, can you teach them what you did so that they can get where they want to go? And, and that's what I would say to anyone listening is like, go find the person you resonate with, who you're like, wow, they have something to teach me. They have what I want. And when that's the case, then latch on to that person and let them show you and be coachable, be trainable, um, because they will really help shortcut some things for you. And you will not have as bumpy of a learning curve that a lot of people do when they don't ask for help. And they kind of flounder around and in secret, uh, taking secret courses and trying to do some stuff in the background without ever leaning in. Raise your hand. Say I'm vulnerable and I'm coachable and I'm ready to show up. And, and I believe the universe delivers when we do that. Mm, so true. And on the other side of the spectrum, what do you think keeps people stuck at the seven figure level, not able to scale? Mm. This is going to be delegation is one of the huge ones, uh, not surrounding themselves with people on their team that they can fully trust and lean into, uh, and also not seeking that next level of support. So just like you have the person who may teach you business at kind of that first rung up to seven figures level, you're going to need to up your game again once you get there. And now you're going to need to, to look a little look a little higher up and say, okay, if my goal is to scale past this number, who else has gone past this number that I know understands how things change, how things scale, how things grow, what new problems might I end up running up against, right? My challenges are going to be a little bit different. And who is going to be the one that can actually talk me through and help me through this new set of challenges. We're outgrowing a first set of pants. We got to go get new pants. So it sounds like you've had amazing mentors in your life as well. For sure. For sure. I have. 
What do you attribute to your success, Mary? Oh, wow. It's going to be, um, I'm going to say my spirit of curiosity and risk. I am definitely someone who is really comfortable saying, you know what, I'm going all in on this and I'm going to move forward with it. And if it falls flat, I'm going to learn from it and keep going. And I think that piece of it, you know, like I never think of anything as being the end, right? right? It's like, oh, if I fail, it's like if I fall off a bicycle, I'm not like, oh, I'm just walking away from the bicycle. I'm done. I'm done with bicycles. (laughs) Like, that's not my attitude. It's like, you know what, we'll get a new bicycle or we'll make some adjustments to this bicycle, or it's something simple, like, let's get on and just try again. Yeah, my husband was telling me about Elon Musk and a point in time where one of the spaceships or whatever he's doing (laughs) blew up. And his immediate reaction was, oh, isn't that interesting? We can learn so much from this. I thought that might happen. And I just thought that was so brilliant because how many of us would have, you know, wanted to throw in the towel or taken a very different perspective, but his was one of curiosity and a knowing that he could learn from what had just happened. Yes, yes. If there's anything I've learned, it's keep trying something long enough, you're going to get good at it. And if you don't get good at it, you're going to get good at something. And then in that something, you might be able to express fully what the thing you actually thought, you know, that you didn't even know or realize that you're great at or wanted to do. (laughs) So true. So one of the questions we ask all of our guests on the show is what is one way that you recommend people create a life better than their dreams? How do they do that? I would say it's in always holding the space to dream bigger. And I say that because I'm certainly one of those people who I've written out my goals and what I think are my dreams. And through that intention and just starting to move those things forward in in whatever small ways I can, it's allowed the universe to show up and say, I'm actually going to give you bigger and better than you in a, in a way that you didn't even know was was possible. And it's in leaning into the, those possibilities. It's been absolutely magical in my life. And I'm so grateful for it because there are things I didn't hold a big enough vision for myself, but other people did. And that was amazing to let those people breathe life into me. And so it would be also in being that person who can see that potential who can see the light in someone else and just reflect it back to them so that they stay encouraged and know that, Hey, their dreams are, they're right there. They're reachable. It's possible. I love that. Thank you so much for bringing your energy today. Where can people find you online? You can go to maryd.com. That's my name, M-A-R-Y-D-E-E.com. And you can also text the word joy to 760-566-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Thanks, Emily. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the I Heart My Life show. Now do us a favor and tell people about this episode. It's truly our duty to make sure that the I Heart My Life movement is spread far and wide. The truth is life can be challenging, but it is possible for all women to love themselves and their lives. And while you're at it, send a link to this episode to three of your friends today or maybe even post it on social media. Use the hashtag IHurtMyLifeShow. That's hashtag IHurtMyLifeShow. And if you'd like to help me personally, then please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us some stars, cheer us on, and leave a review because believe it or not, that stuff actually really does help. 
and I read all of them. Please remember everything you desire is meant for you and possible. Keep showing up, taking action, and believing in your dreams.